Well, uh, pastor stole my thunder. I always love being able to say I have nine kids because of the reaction that it gets. So let's re- pretend he didn't say that. My wife and I have nine kids. Thank you. Thank you. That was over the top. <laughs> um, and it's a crazy story. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the Reader's Digest version of, uh, of how we came to have that many children. Um, because we used to have way less. Uh, only seems like very recent. Um, in fact, last time I was here, um, I believe last time I was here, we only had four. Um, and so right after we had our fifth child, yeah, there's, there's the whole clan right there. Uh, and actually there's one in the cooker at that time. And, um, yeah. So anyway, um, we had our fifth child, Josiah and, um, and the very next day, my mother passed away unexpectedly. Um, so I don't, I think my, I don't, I don't think my mother had passed away last time I was here. I think I just released S for me in my house, the album. And, um, and so that was a, a really tough time, but just a few months later, um, my wife, just God put the desire to adopt on her heart. And I had already, I'd always had that desire. I always wanted to know what it was like to, you know, take a child that, that is not from you and bring them into your family, become their parents, become a father to a fatherless child. I just, I mean, I know that desire didn't come from me. You know, I know this is one that God put on my heart. I know it's his desire and, and we want his desires, right? We're like, Lord, give us your desires because our desires stink most of the time. And, um, but he speaks through desire. He does. So a lot of the desires that are in you are, were founded by him. He put them there. And so I remember, um, we started to pray and, and we decided to fast and pray. And I believe in fasting and praying as much as I like eating and I do like eating. I believe that God speaks when you decide to sacrifice and fast and pray. He speaks so clearly. And I'm a firm believer in that. So we started fasting. We did it for seven days. And um, and in the midst of that fast, I was doing a concert. And there was a family there at this particular concert. And they had six kids. And they were all adopted. And one of the little girls came up to me and asked me to sign her CD. And I said, what's your name? And she said, my name is Anna, A-N-N-A. So I was like, all right, two Anna, A-N-N-A. And as soon as I wrote that name, the, the Lord spoke to me and said, that is your daughter's name. And I was like, what? It's like, God, is that you? Is that me? And sometimes when God speaks to us, we're like, nah, that wasn't God. That was me. Or maybe it was the enemy. I don't know. You know, we're like, Lord, if it's you, I need to know. I need you to confirm it. So I go home the next day and we're up, you know, we get up before the kids and my wife was reading the Bible, um, a one-year Bible, okay? So the day that she was on, there was one little paragraph about a prophetess named Anna, or we would say Anna here, but the Jewish name would be pronounced Anna. And I look down, and she's reading that. And that's what she's, I'm like, that's crazy. She's like, what? <clears throat> I said, God spoke to me yesterday and said, that's our daughter's name. She's like, huh. I'm not sure if I like that name. <laughs> My wife picks, she picks all the names of the kids. Even if she makes me think I'm picking it, it's always been her. <laughs> so, no, she didn't say I didn't like the name. I'm just kidding. Um, and I said, well, you know, if it's God, you know, he's already confirmed it twice. 
maybe he'll confirm it again. So the next night I go to, I, we go to bed that night and, um, I have this dream. Now we had decided to adopt a little girl in China. Okay. That was what we thought we were going to do. We make our plans. The Lord directs our steps. That's what I've learned in my life. I've made a lot of plans. I should just quit making plans. I think <laughs> Lord, just, just direct my steps. My plans are really bad. Um, but we had planned to adopt in China and that's not wrong with that. Um, we put some money down with a, an adoption agency and three to five years old. We're thinking we're going to adopt an older child, not a baby. Three to five is older in our opinion. I go to bed and have this dream and I'm in this orphanage and I'm surrounded by all these older kids, like middle school, high school kids. And they're all like trying, you know, telling me their names and they're meeting me and swarmed around me. And I see out of the corner of my eye, I look, there's a little girl and she's sitting all by herself and she's very shy and and she has dark brown hair, long, and her, her, her bangs are kind of in her face. And her skin's like porcelain. And she's so shy. You know, she's sitting there and she looks very lonely. And I look over at her and I say, what is your name? And she said, Anna. I know, I know a lot, a lot of you are like, <clears throat> that sounds so supernatural that she would say that. But I already had the name in my head, right? So... If you eat french fries today, you might go home and dream about eating french fries because that's what you did today. You know, so it's like, that's not, that wasn't such a big deal that I would dream about a girl and, and her, she would say her name's Anna, but, well, I thought she looked older than what we were thinking, you know? She looked seven. I said, Anna, how old are you? She said, I'm 10. And I was, now that's what got me because, first of all, we, we were not thinking at all older than three to five and we were thinking china china and here's a girl i'm thinking this girl looks like she's from eastern europe and she looks like she's seven but now she's telling me she's 10 so where's this coming from this is not from me this is not in my subconscious from the day before this is not from eating french fries you know this is this is from somewhere else and uh, then my mother shows up in the dream and i love when i dream about my mother but i grabbed my mother i was i was just embracing her I began to cry in the dream and I began to tell her, I said, mom, I think I just met my daughter and I got to tell my mom first. And it was beautiful. It was just, it was so God, so God. And then I wake up and I'm just tears are streaming down my face and I'm crying. My wife's like, what's wrong? It's like, I just dreamed about our daughter. She said, her name's Anna. She's not three to five. She's like, she says she's 10. And she's not Chinese. She, she looks Eastern Europe, European to me. And so we were like, you know, pondering this dream. It's like, is this really, is this of God? You know? And so two days later, we're, we're at a, we're at a Saturday night home fellowship that meets in our area. A lot of believers from all over, you know, come together and gather. And it's, it's like an upper room kind of fellowship, but about 60 people. I said, Josie, can I share the story? Because I was, you know, we have testimonial time. And, and I, she said, yeah, but don't tell them the name. Maybe they'll tell you the name. I was like, okay. I told the whole story. I said, but I'm not going to tell you her name because maybe someone here knows the name. Maybe someone here is going to confirm the name. Sure enough, the next guy that gets up to speak has never been there before. He's from Panama and he speaks Spanish. And he starts to share about his ministry in Panama to orphans. Okay, somebody's translating for him. He didn't understand what I had just said. Um, so 
he begins to share about his ministry and he says the name of his ministry is ANA, Anna, uh, ministering to ninos that are abandoned. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. The guy who doesn't speak English is the one who tells me the name. And that night we, we, um, we found out about a hosting program through a couple that was in the room. Hosting where you could host an orphan from Eastern Europe for the summer. And it was the last day you could sign up. And I said, are there any, any girls around the age of 10? By the end of the night, I had a picture of Anna. I said her name was Anya, but then I looked at her paperwork, and her name was spelled A-N-N-A, Anna. She was nine at the time. By the time we adopted her, she was 10. Look at that porcelain skin. Her bangs are fixed because her mother makes sure they don't, they're not in her face anymore, but, but her hair was always in her face. She's a beautiful little girl. And, and if that was a story, then we could all, you know, say, oh, what a beautiful story. Let's go home. It doesn't stop there. You know, no, no. The word says that he does exceedingly and abundantly more than what we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. They said, by the way, Anna comes with an amazing 14-year-old brother named Max. I was like, you know, we are, we're really not looking for an amazing 14-year-old brother. We already have one at home. He's plenty. So, um, but we decided to host them for the summer by faith. Um, God provided the money for us to do it. It was like $5,000 to host them, you know, fly them there. And then we had them for two months, fell in love with them. You know, by the end of the summer, we were like, we, we said, would you like to be a part of our family? Because we knew that the cry of their heart is they wanted a mother and a father. And Anna had been praying for parents for years. And so, um, so we went, we, we had to send them back, heartbreaking, but we <clears throat> got our paperwork done so lightning fast and we raised the money and, um, we were ready to travel. We had a travel date to go to Ukraine in November and it was just a month before and we get an email out of left field that said, it appears that Max and Anna have a 12 year old sister. <clears throat> and we were like, what? We um, were freaking out <clears throat> big time. I was like, there's no way you would do this to us, God. It's like, we already have five kids, and I thought that was a lot. Um, they said that the, the ju- a judge would have to legally separate them, and probably would because they've been separated for seven years. They took her off to a different orphanage just because she was extremely nearsighted. So they sent her to another orphanage uh, that specialized in, you know, hearing and and vision problems. But she's just nearsighted, you know, it's it's not even a big deal. I was thinking, you know, maybe she's blind, maybe she's cross. I don't know. I didn't know. But I'm like, Lord, what's the deal here? And I said, there's no way I can go. The the, the email says you're going to have to go meet her regardless of whether they separate legally and you can end up adopting Max and Anna just by themselves, you still got to go meet her by law. I'm like, there is no way I'm walking into an orphanage to meet a 12-year-old girl and then walking away and saying, good luck. I'm taking your brother and sister and we're going to be their parents, but we're leaving you here. It's like, it's not in me. I wouldn't do that. So I'm like, God, uh, we need to know that you're going to, that you got this, that you're leading us to do this. And so, um, we prayed about it and, and then I got her picture 
It was her passport picture, only photograph they could find of her. And when I saw that beautiful face, I knew she was our daughter. I just knew it. Um, and so we met her on Thanksgiving Day of 2013. She didn't speak any English whatsoever. But we asked her if she wanted to be our daughter, and she said yes. You know, The, the beauty of, of adopting an older child is it's, it's so par- parallel to the gospel, it's not even funny. I mean, they have to receive us. I mean, literally, um, an attorney and the director of the orphanage says, do you want to be adopted by this family? Yes or no? Of course, they all three said yes. But that's the story of, of, of redemption and adoption spiritually. Do you want to be adopted by this father in heaven? He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. Um, so we had to go back home. I had to go over there twice. So the, the second time we're getting ready to go back to go to court to make him ours forever. Uh, the day before we left, my wife had suspicions that something was going on inside her and her tummy. And sure enough, she was, she was pregnant. And, uh, I don't know how that happened to be honest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But it did, and his name is Israel, and he's he's eight months old. I don't have a picture of him, um, but see me afterwards. I got great photos on my phone. It's crazy, right? I mean, it's a crazy story, and it's still going. And now we just have to we have to feed these kids. They eat every day. I'm trying to convince them. Let's eat every other day. You know, let's just, let's fast one day. Let's eat another. And it's, you should see us at Sam's Club. It's ridiculous. We have like a train of cards. In. And I'm like, God, I can't, I, I can't do this without you. I can't father all these children without you. I don't have it in me. And I need your help. They're wonderful. I wrote this song, and I hope it encouraged you, not necessarily to adopt a child physically, but, but to step out in faith and, and to do what God's called you to do. It's an adventure, and you only get one shot at this life. Let's live the adventure he has for us. Let's say yes to God before he asks.
something that God wanted me to share. And I said, well, Lord, we'll just see if there's time and I'll just kind of go with the flow. We're all orphans. And the word says that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as he chose us might be holy and without blame before him in love and he adopted us into his family one of the biggest 
problems I see as a pastor in people's lives is caused to a large degree by the fact that they've not been fathered. Families that are dysfunctional, and I'm talking about in the church. Families that are dysfunctional, there's either a dad missing or there's a dad there and he's absent, although he's there. And it's overwhelming as a pastor to try to counsel in those situations where they're hoping that in an hour or so of just listening to you, that you'll be able to solve the result of generations of father failurehood, failure. July, Anita and I will be married 47 years. We have four children and four grandchildren. When we married, I was 21. I won't tell you what she was. But we were so young, we had no clue what we were doing. And I remember being scared almost to death that I couldn't do it. My father was married four times and none of them were a success. And I struggled so much in my relationship with my father in ways that deeply hurt and eventually came to peace to realize he did the best he could because I looked back to saw how he was raised he had no clue either. But after we were married about 10 years, we got saved. For the first time in my life, I had a hope. See, I was never believed I could love. I couldn't love my wife. I didn't know what it was. Because you see, you can't give something you don't have or haven't experienced. And there's scriptures for that, and we've talked about that. I had no confidence I could love her, and I remember when our first child was born, he's in the room right now, being scared stiff that I couldn't love him. I looked down inside of me to try to find something to give, and it was nothing there that I could find. At some point, and I don't remember what triggered it, but it was obviously God, it dawned on me, first of all, I had to stop feeling sorry for myself. As long as I used what I had been through as an excuse I was never going to change and grow so I had to come to terms with it forgive my father let go of all that as an excuse and what allowed me to do that was the revelation that I had a new father I had a heavenly father whatever my natural father couldn't do for me or tried and failed at my heavenly father could and so I very purposefully began to turn to him call upon him and it was strange at first difficult at first because it was a concept not a real experience for me but I kept at it day after day after day and I was just honest with God saying I don't I, you know I know you love me because the word says so but I have no experience of that I have no confidence that I can love you back I have no confidence in this 
All I know to do is just keep coming to you and keep turning to you. Slowly and gradually, he began to minister to me as a father to a son. And I began to turn to him and say, you know, my father never taught me how to do these things. My father never disciplined me. My father never trained me, never gave me courage. He never gave these things for me. He probably wanted to. He didn't know how, but I need these things from you. And as I began to cry out to God slowly but surely, and it wasn't like, you know, an anointing fell down on me and suddenly the next day I was a different person. But it was the process of day in and day out turning to him and just being honest. I don't know how to do this. I have no confidence I can love my wife. I don't know how to love her. I know how to do things for her, but I don't know how to love her. Teach me. I don't know how to love my children. I don't know how to be a father to them. Teach me. Be a father to me. And slowly and gradually and surely, I began to get understanding about things. I began to feel confident about things. And and I'm still in the process. Well, somewhere in the process. But I made a decision early on. decision early on that what had gone on through generations in my family was going to stop. And it was going to turn around. When I was in junior high school, I was part of a drill team. One of the commands was whatever the flank was. I forgot what it was now. It was turn around. And what you did is you planted your left foot. Those of you in the service know you turned on that and you went in a different direction. There was a point in my life where I intentionally planted my foot. And I said, it ends here. And that doesn't mean that the inadequacies and the failures and all that stuff immediately turned around. But as an act of my will, I decided my family was going to go in a different direction. And sometimes I look at other families that I see that they, you know, they're just, it looks like they're so far, much further down the road, even in their own life. And, and then God reminds me where I came from. See, God doesn't compare us with one another compares you with where you started, where you met him. And I turned around and it's been a long process. But what I find is as you keep at it, it begins to accelerate. And I'm in a place right now where I am so blessed in my life. Our marriage is at a place it's never been before. And, I, and it just, I'm blessed with my family. And everybody's not everywhere I want them to be, and I'm not everywhere I want to be. But there's a hope in me now. There's a confidence in me now. And I really felt that God wanted me to share that this morning. Because there are a number of you men out there, and 
you may not even admit it to yourself and certainly you may not admit it to your wife or your children but you feel very inadequate there's still times I feel very inadequate I don't feel adequate as a man I don't feel adequate as a husband I don't feel adequate as a father I don't feel adequate as a pastor but as I was having some of those feelings this morning I really felt the Lord say to me but what you've done is what a father does by the grace of God I've changed the direction of the Pfeffer family I haven't done it he has and that's what a father does a father accepts the responsibility father faces the truth of where he is and his own sense of inadequacy realizes he can't do this I can't lead this family I can't train these children I can't even train myself but I have a God who's there to help me a God who's there to train me a God who's there to enable me God has enabled to empower me day in and day out. Some days when it feels easy and you feel like you're on top of the world and you can charge hell with a water pistol and other days when you feel like Satan's run over you and you don't even know why you're breathing. God's faithful in all of those times. And I believe with all my heart that it's the will of God, the desire of God, the passion of God for you fathers, wherever you are, whatever age you're at, to be the turning point in your family. Those of you especially that feel the most inadequate, the most beaten down, God is able to do, and this is one of the verses that I've hung on to, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think according to the power of His Spirit that works in us. So I would encourage you men First of all, get honest with yourself about where you are as a husband and as a father, as a grandfather, and maybe even as a great-grandfather. Be honest with yourself, be honest with God, and then begin to turn to God to be a father to you. I don't mean just a father in the Bible. I don't mean just, but a real father to you. And there have been days I've been bold with him and put a demand on him. I need a father today. I need you to kick me in the seat of the pants. I need you to hold me. Whatever it is I need, I need that from you today. And I guarantee to you that if you'll do that, he'll begin to reveal himself to you as a father. And you'll find yourself down the road beginning to react and respond in very different ways because he's at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Remember, fatherhood comes from God. He is the the source of fatherhood. Ephesians 3, one of my verses that I pray every day, starting in verse 14, Paul praying for the church at Ephesus said, Now it may to the Father from whom all of the family is named. Our identity comes from our Father. And this is how Satan's work so hard to destroy our identity. Mothers give a sense of nourishing and caring, but our identity comes from our Father. And our identity as Christians, as Christian men and as Christian women, comes from our Father, not from the world. The world's trying to give you an identity. The world's trying to tell you what you've got to look like, what you've got to talk like, what you've got to dress like 
what you've got to be like, what has to be your ambition, what has to be your pleasure. It tries to tell us all those things. Because the world wants to make you draw your identity from the God of this world. But He's not our Father. Jehovah is our Father. And we're to draw identity from Him, but it has to do has to come only by drawing near to Him, seeking Him with all your heart, through His Word, through time with Him, through calling upon Him in difficult times, calling upon Him when you need Him. And as you do that, slowly but surely, He'll begin to reveal Himself to you as a Father who's not absent, as a Father who's not just sitting in heaven waiting for you to call upon Him, a Father who is there in your lives. Jesus said about His Father in Matthew chapter 6 about prayer. He says, don't you know that your Father knows what you need before you ask? Don't you know He's watching over you? Don't you know He's involved in your life? Don't you know He hears you? Don't you know? That's what touched me so much of that video. He heard the cries of those orphans. Don't you know He knows what you need? Therefore, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek Him first. And His righteousness and all these things that you need will be added unto you. That's not just talking about material things, man. That's talking about emotional things. That's talking about strength and wisdom and character and all the things that you're lacking. You seek Him first and His righteousness. The things He knows you need will be added unto you. father is so critical I see so many single mothers trying to be a father and a mother it touches my heart because they try so hard and they're doing the best they can but they're not built and wired the same way God is gracious and God is good to them but we need as fathers in this church to be willing to adopt your household, but with your heart, children in this congregation that don't have a father. We need to be willing to embrace them and put our arms around them and and, and begin to speak things into their lives that their mothers can't, especially young men, some young men in this church that my heart really reaches out to. Because they're trying hard and all the world is forcing against them and trying to woo them and draw them. And the mother's trying hard and praying hard, but she needs men of this church to gather around and be willing to stand up. And we're working on a mentoring program that we want to announce when we have it ready so that we can give men in this church an opportunity to do just that, to embrace some of these young men and take them into their hearts and begin to adopt them as a father to them to speak into their lives to begin to mentor them it's so critical it's so critical praise God well that was what was on my heart we just have to trust the Holy Spirit we'll do with it in each of our lives what he chooses to do
want to ask you a question right now. And it's, where are you with God? Where's your relationship with God as your father? People out in the world talk about God as if he's their father, but each of our four children became our children because they were born out of us. God's the creator of all, but he's only the father of those who've been born unto him. John quoted earlier a verse out of John chapter 1 that said, He came with his own, but his own didn't recognize him. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the power or the authority or the right to become children of God. You may be sitting here this morning. You may have been raised in church as I was. Think that everything's right because you believe in God and you are basically a good person and you're here in church. But that doesn't make you a child of God any more than somebody coming to visit our house makes them my son or my daughter. They have to be born out of us. And Jesus said in John chapter 3 that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, in order to get into heaven when you die, you must be, you must be, you must be born again. That word again has two meanings. It means a second time and it means also from above. You cannot enter into heaven unless you have been born a second time. And that second birth is a spiritual birth. Your first birth was the birth of your body, and that's how you became the child of your parents. But your second birth is a spiritual birth by which the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, comes into you and conceives in you a brand new spirit that is born of God as the seed of God, implanted in you just as it was in Mary. She carried the Son of God. God wants to implant in you a new life to become His child today. So my question again is, where are you with God? Are you just somebody that knows about God? Or can you boldly declare and with confidence today that God is my Father because I have come to Jesus Christ and given my life to Him? Jesus said in John chapter 4, I am the way, not one of several. I am the only way. I am the only truth, and I am the only life. No one comes to the Father unless they come to me. In order to be born again, you must come to Jesus and personally invite him into your life to be your personal Savior. And then you must take your life just as it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and put it into his hands to be your Lord. If you've never done that before this morning, you are not born again yet. God loves you, and that's why you're here this morning. Here's what I want to do. If that's you this morning, I want to help you by praying with you. So right now, if that's you, if you've never received Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, if you just raise your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you this morning. You can raise the lights a little bit so that I can see better. I know almost everybody in here need to search your heart this morning. Where am I with God? Am I just around Him? Or do I know Him through Jesus Christ? I'm going to keep that invitation open for a moment, and I have a second I want to address, and that's this. You've done that before. You've given your life to Christ before. You know you're born again, but 
you're not walking with him anymore. I don't mean that maybe, you know, you're going through a dry spell that can happen. But you know who you are. You're not where you used to be. You're out there on your own. And why you got there and how you got there doesn't matter right now. It's the fact that you're there. I have good news for you. Jesus loves you. You're the one that moved away from him. He's never left you. And his arms are open this morning to receive you back, to forgive you, to clean you up, and to set you back on your walk with him again. But you have to make a choice, a decision, an act of your will. You have to choose to come back to him. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. Again, I know almost everybody here. I see a hand in the back, sir. Thank you for being honest. Both invitations are on the floor right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. It's time to be honest with yourself. We're not talking about where you're going on vacation. We're not talking about your job. We're talking about where you spend eternity. It's your choice this morning. All right, here's what I want to do. If you raised your hand or you didn't and you know you should raise your hand, I'm going to ask you if you just for a moment slip out of your seat. If you're by yourself, you may want to bring your belongings with you. Otherwise, you can leave them to your friends. I'm not going to embarrass you, but just come down. I, I just, I'm going to pray with you not too late if you didn't raise your hand you can still come coming over here thank you sir for coming just stand right here and face me you here is not my business, it's not their business, it's between you and God. But this much I know, because God's made a promise, that if you'll say this prayer with me and mean it as best you can, that's all you can do. When we're done, because I'm going to pray for everything that I've talked about, God's going to have come into your heart, if he hasn't already, through Jesus Christ, going to take your old heart out and put a new heart in you. We have a tree in our front yard. It's an apple tree. But if I decided I wanted to make that into a pear tree, I could go to the store, buy a bunch of pears, and glue them on the branches. Somebody driving by, if they didn't know a lot about trees, could look at that because they'd see the pears and say, wow, what a beautiful pear tree. But you and I both know that the first time we get a strong wind or a strong rainstorm, what's going to happen to those pears? They're going to fall off. Why? Because they didn't come out of the tree. I stuck them on. And when we live our life trying to be pleasing and acceptable to God by doing the best we can, But we still fail when the wind blows and the rain comes. The pears still fall off the tree. Our good works still fall short. God knows that the problem is in our nature. So what he does is he comes inside of us and takes that old nature out. He takes the apple nature out and puts a brand new nature in you, his nature, his life. And now we have the ability to live his life out for us, his life out for you, his life out through us. So whatever you've done when we're finished here is going to be washed clean. So I'm going to ask you to just say this prayer out loud with me, mean it as best you can, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of instructions. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I've ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of it. Wash me in the blood of Jesus.
make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life and I put it into your hands to be my Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my life. 